as we turn to the Lord's Word, I'm encouraged in many ways uh, to be in worship with you. I'm honored to be here with a um, mother who's obviously hurt in her heart for her child, uh, with a brother concerned about surgery, with one tube in place that's still here to worship this morning, and hopefully Thursday that will be out for Mr. Ken. We have those that are here with health conditions that are here to worship, and then those who struggle to be here. Uh, It's a blessing to have Howard here this morning. Always a blessing to have Janie here this morning. You know, there is so much in this world that seeks to derail us and keep us from coming to worship together. And In each of these cases, conscious decisions were made to be in, in the house of the Lord with God's people, to be the house of the Lord. And uh, it's just a joy to me to have you here this morning. And I'm praying uh, that your fall has started with uh, numerous such blessings this morning. But let me ask you this morning, anybody know what this is right here? This is the new iPhone 11. You could line up the button. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, it's, a, it's an Etch-A-Sketch, that's right. Uh, I, I had one of these in my home almost all the way through my childhood, even into my, my teen years. Is anybody here actually good at drawing on these things? Um, you know, you're like Buddy the Elf, remember him, how he could do the Mona Lisa on, on the Etch-A-Sketch. I could sit for hours making stairs, and that's about all that I could do on these things. But sometimes, uh, you get an idea, right, of what your life should look like, and, and you start to dream. And you start to fiddle with the knobs, and you start to create a sketch. You, you start to draw, and it starts to look just about the way that you hoped it would look like in your life. But then life comes along. And, and how do you clear this? You shake it, right? And our life gets shaken. And maybe it's the result of somebody who just thoughtlessly grabbed a hold of your life and ruined the picture. And you think, how could another human being be so cruel as to do this to another person? Or maybe every time you felt the freedom to create and dream, some controlling individual that was looking over your shoulder just kind of grabbed the etch-a-sketch from you and said, you know, give me that. I've got better plans for what you're going to be and what you're going to do. Let me make the plans for you. Or maybe you made a bunch of really bad personal decisions along the way. And that slowly distorted or eroded the picture of how your life was supposed to be. Or your life was no longer what you dreamed it would be. And what do you do? Well, for many, if you're honest, at that time, you you didn't know God. And you didn't have a safe place to run. You didn't know that a freeway even existed. You didn't know there was a hope for change. You didn't know about a clean slate or about the power of forgiveness or the incredible depth and height and width of God's amazing and forgiving love. So maybe when we read scriptures like Jeremiah 29, 11, it kind of raises some questions for you where the prophet spoke the words of God who said, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. So instead of handing a sordid picture to God and saying, God, would you help me to draw a new picture? Would would you just give me a new plan, a, a new life? Well, a lot of us reacted in unhealthy ways. Some isolated themselves emotionally and just said, you know, there is no way that anybody's gonna hurt me in my life that way ever again. 
Some of you just stuffed it and, and, and you held on to that pain and you painted on this tough guy, this cool exterior, and pretended like everything was okay. Some of us jump on the treadmill of ultra-high achievement and say, I'll show them who's the loser. I'll show them who's the underachiever. Some of us decided to go through life playing the victim card whenever we didn't take responsibility for our own actions. We could just easily blame somebody else. Some of us went the other way of trying to fit ourselves into people's view of what they thought was best for us. And so we became approval junkies. We let other people's image of us shape everything we saw about our lives. And others fell into some extreme caregiving within their lives. Not because people really needed our care, but because we needed to be needed. Some of us escaped into a fantasy land where if we could just get our minds off the real world for a little while, we could live in the fantasy world of, of video games or romance novels or pornography when we wouldn't have to deal with the real problem or people. We wouldn't have to exude the, the real courage or the experience for real intimacy. And some just decided to run and numb. Just avoid the problem, numb it with alcohol, with drugs, you name it, whatever it is, is there a way to start over? Is there hope for a better life? Can you redraw the picture? Is there a pathway that actually leads towards redemption and freedom? Well, in this series that we're in right now, I want you to hear clearly the God of creation say absolutely yes. Last week we kicked off this series talking about a guy from Luke the 15th chapter who just royally messed up his picture. But he came to his senses and he began to put one foot in front of the other and he started walking towards home. Walking towards freedom. And we introduced the very first step on that freeway which was awareness. In other words, in order for things to change, you've got to be aware of the need for change. You have to be honest with yourself about the reality of your life, not just externally, not just in outside relationships, but internally. And you know why? It's because of the first thing on your outline this morning, that it's God alone who can help us draw a new picture, even when we try to recreate our life's picture. God alone brings transformation. He delights in, 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 in changing our life into newness, and hope and life. It's like the old hillbilly once said, nothing changes until nothing changes. Pretty profound, isn't it? Nothing changes until nothing changes. And I've learned that's true. It's right up there on the list of those sayings like, you know, denial just isn't a river in Egypt. If you want your patterns to change, if you want your pattern of behavior, of thinking, if you want your pattern of relating to other people to change, if you want to really walk free, you've got to be aware of your current picture. You know what the truth is within my life? I could still go on using a comb, okay? I could continue to, to use a hairdryer. But one day I looked in the mirror and I said, Welcome to reality, Bill. You no longer need those things in your life. And if you just keep going on without awareness of the reality in your life, you're going to stay stuck. And I can't tell you how many times I hear people say, I just feel stuck in life. 
And the awareness is what brings reality. Sometimes we experience what Amos described in Amos, the Old Testament, in verse, chapter 5, verse 19. He said, sometimes it's as though a man fled from the lion only to meet a bear. As though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. And all around you, sometimes there are people who just want to give you opinion and advice, and they're of little help. Sometimes they themselves are so lost that they'll absorb any counsel and spit it back out at you like the people in Isaiah 30, verse 10. They say to the seers, see no more visions. To the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things and prophesy illusions. But freedom doesn't come in a life of illusions. It starts with awareness, which leads us to this next step today, number two, which is discovery. And the step of discovery is where you simply ask, what's the honest truth about me? It's where you take this deep dive on the inside and find out really what's going on in your life. How did the picture get so messed up? How did the thinking get so distorted? How did the behaviors become so ingrained in who I am? How did I get so stuck? What lies have been told to me and I believe them. And what lies have I told myself? I want to know the truth. And so the second thing I want you to catch this morning is this. Discovery, this step today, it's taking a journey to the center of the truth. Discovery is taking a journey to the center of the truth. you got to be like Isaac's men in the Old Testament in Genesis 26, 19. Where it says, Isaac's servants, they dug in the valley and they discovered a well of fresh water there. Friends, maybe you came in here today and you are in the lowest valley. But it's there. Through God's strength, through God's help, through his revelation, you could find a fresh well of truth. How many of you have ever seen uh, Jimmy Kimmel's late show where he does the lie detective? He pretends to be this detective and he hooks up little kids to a fake lie detector machines, and, and the results, I think, they're absolutely great. I want you to check out this, this extremely cute little boy by the name of Aaron. Watch this for me this morning. Goes to work. Hi there, how you doing? Nice to meet you. That's the truth fairy. Go ahead and have a seat right there. How you gotta you? love the truth fairy okay. back there. You having a fun day? Yeah. Yeah. I'm uh, Officer Jimmy. It's very nice to meet you. Have you ever met a police officer before? Yeah. Have you ever taken a lie detector test before? You have. Okay, good. Then you're gonna be old, an old hand at this. So um, the truth fairy is gonna go ahead and put these things on your fingers. He's gonna hook you up. Now we're gonna put this uh, helmet on you. Have you ever worn a helmet before? Like Iron Man, right? Yeah. And I'm going to ask you some questions, and all you have to do is tell me the truth, okay? Yeah. Do you know what the truth is? Yeah. Okay, perfect then. What is your name? Aaron. Aaron? How old are you? Four. Do you go to school? Yeah. Okay. Do you like school? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have a girlfriend? Yeah. Oh, what is her name? Mia. Mia? How old is Mia? Um... She's 4'2". She's 4'2"? Have you ever kissed Mia? Yeah. You have. Did you kiss her on the lips? Yeah. 
Okay. Uh, do you think you might marry Mia? You do. Is Mia a monkey? She's a girl. She's a girl. A human girl? Okay. Have you ever been to space? Okay, I'm going to ask that again. Have you ever been in to space? Yeah. Okay, the machine is saying no. When did you go to space? Um, for five days. For five days? And where did you go? To the moon? Yeah. Uh-huh. And did you have fun on the moon? Yeah. What kind of things did you do on the moon? Um, play there. Oh, that's very interesting. Interesting. Uh, will you go to the moon again soon? Yeah. Okay. Um... Do you have any pets at home? Yeah, I do. What do you have? A sheep and a hippo. You have a sheep and a hippo? Something went crazy here. Is this a real hippo? Yeah. Is this a stuffed hippo? Uh, no, it's pretend. It's a pretend hippo. Okay. Do you ever pick your nose? No. Uh, yes, I did. You did. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, right? Yeah. And then do you ever eat it? No. Uh, yes, I did. Yes, you did? Okay, good. All right. Well, thank you very much, Aaron. I appreciate your time. The Truth Fairy is going to unhook you now and take the helmet off you. We'll see you on the moon, okay? Yeah. I love that. He was so busted, wasn't he? <laughs> we all have a tendency to dodge the truth, don't we? And... and, and even the time that the enemy says to us, you know, come on, you're not really that bad. I mean, I wouldn't call it like an addiction. It's not that big a deal. Your family's fine. You just keep covering your tracks, which you're really, really good at anyway. You're good at this double life thing. And after the way people have hurt you, you have a right to live the way you do. And you have a right to seek revenge. And besides, God doesn't care about you. God doesn't have time for you. Do you know how many promises to God you've broken? The fact is, you're a drunk. The fact is, you're, you're a junkie. You're just a liar. You're, you're just a sex addict, and that's all that you'll ever be. You're unloved, unworthy, alone, stuck. So why do the work of soul exploration anyway? Change is way too hard. At least the misery you're in is familiar to you. You never know what you might discover if you go probing around within your heart anyway. And all this talk about freedom, it's just a myth. Lie after lie after sinister lie in the hopes of keeping us stuck. He doesn't want us to know the truth. In fact, Jesus said this about him in John 8, 44. He said, you belong to your father, the devil, who wants to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar, and he is the father of lies. And even though we think our, our lie detector works without any input from the Holy Spirit, Paul tells us there's a lot of people as he would write, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And it's no wonder because Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. Friends, the truth is we have an enemy to real soul 
exploration. But I also want you to know, above that, that God is our eager and our ultimate friend. The Bible tells us God is love. And I know that you know what 1 John 4.18 declares as truth, right? There is no fear in love, but perfect love does what? It casts out, it drives out fear. And you need to know, as you start this process of discovery, friends, God is for you, not against you. He wants you to be freer than you want yourself to be, more than anything else. And he gently responds to all those lies. And he says to each one of us, listen to me, as you come to me, I want you to know it's okay not to be okay. It really is. It's okay not to be okay. Just come to me, whatever is within you, and not what you ought to be, but just be honest with me, and we'll get after this together. And you need to know this too. It's not okay to pretend like everything's okay. So stop trying so hard. Stop faking it. Just drop the mask. Wipe off the makeup and come to me just as you are. And let's get honest about some stuff so that you can get it up and out and let my spirit do its work. When the girls were little, I used to read to them from uh, several little books that were written by Shel Silverstein. And I, I, I always liked The Giving Tree, and most of you probably heard that story if you've been a Christian for a long. A lot of ministers use that as an illustration. But some of you might remember the story of Sarah Cynthia Sylvia Stout. Anybody remember the story? Educator here this morning? I love the story. You need to hear this this morning. Sarah Cynthia Sylvia Stout would not take the garbage out. She'd scour the pots and scrape the pans, candy the yams and spice the hams. And though her daddy would scream and shout, she simply would not take the garbage out. And so it piled up to the ceilings, coffee grounds, potato peelings, brown bananas, rotten peas, chunks of sour cottage cheese. It filled the can, covered the floor, cracked the window, blocked the door with bacon rinds and chicken bones, drippy ends of ice cream cones. Prune pits, peach pits, orange peel, gloppy glumps of cold oatmeal. Pizza crust and withered greens, soggy beans and tangerines, crust of black burnt buttered toast, grizzly bits of beefy roast. The garbage rolled on down the hall. It raised the roof, it broke the wall. Greasy napkins, cookie crumbs, globs of gooey bubble gum, cellophane from green bologna, rubbery blubbery macaroni. Peanut butter caked and dry, curdled milk and crushed to pie, moldy melons, dried up mustard, eggshells mixed with lemon custard, cold French fried and rancid meat, yellow lumps of cream of wheat. At last the garbage reached so high that it finally touched the sky. And all the neighbors moved away, and none of her friends would come to play. And finally, Sarah Cynthia Sylvia Stout said, Okay, I'll take the garbage out. But then, of course, it was too late. The garbage had reached across the state, from New York to the Golden Gate, and there in the garbage she did hate. Poor Sarah met an awful fate that I now cannot relate, because the hour is much too late. So children, always remember Sarah Cynthia Sylvia Stout, and always take your garbage out. I think that's a great story. I'm learning because that's got to be a daily thing for this preacher. 
And, and let me just introduce you to a scripture today that talks about the one who sees all the garbage within our lives and gives us the strength to take the garbage out. It comes in Psalm 11, verses 4 through 5. And it reminds us that the Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord is on His heavenly throne. He observes everyone on the earth. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous. So friends, invite it. Let His examination of you lead you to the freeway. And I've also learned through the years that self-examination will always require humility. Humility. Before you come to God, you've got to say, Lord, something's broken. I need to be fixed here. I want to get well. God, I'm ready to do the work that's required to walk free. And even though I know this journey might be painful, I know the old habits will die hard. But God, I'm ready to be fearlessly honest. And I want to take some steps toward freedom that I can only take with you. And friends, once again, God will be with you in the process. I love what Richard Rohr writes about this. He says this, because God loves us unconditionally along with our dark sides. We don't need to dodge ourselves. In the light of his love, the pain of self-knowledge can be at the same time the beginning of our healing. God's steady gaze, friends, of unfailing love will guide you through the process. He sees the broken parts. God can peel back the layers of whatever situation or circumstance you're in to restore your thinking. He goes to the root of the problem because He really does want you to take it out, in the, out into the light to walk with Him. He longs for us all to be free. And what do you have to lose anyway? Except the garbage that you need to take to the curb anyway. The promise of Proverbs 28, 13 is this. Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. The word for mercy there is the same word we use for a covenant love, an unbreakable bond. We really find that when we expose ourselves before God. He's for us. And I've also learned this. The secret sin cannot coexist with inner peace. Secret sin cannot coexist with the peace that God has in store for us. The sin you want to conceal the most, it's been said before, is most likely the one you need to reveal the most. Just get it out. Take it to the curb. Let God turn the light on for you. And as James would say in the New Testament, humble yourself before the Lord and He will lift you up. Now here's my last point. Deep core character is formed in a relationship with God. Deep, lasting integrity is formed only in a relationship with the Heavenly Father. See, when you probe deep to the roots of your problem, what you need to do is, is so to speak, you need to send it off to the lab. Some of you know Terry Hagee understands what that means when you send something off to the lab. Many of you do. I have two friends that have dealt with cancer and it's, it's gut-wrenching effects just in the past two weeks. In this past week, I found out that Cheryl's maid of honor at our wedding 30 years ago 
young lady at that time named Sherry Bright. She married a guy named John Timmers. And uh, John was a strong, tall, super intelligent guy. I mean, he, he, he was just not only intelligent, I mean, he could really speak well, he could write well, and uh, he lived up in Troy, Ohio, battled cancer for many years at the James at OSU. But he lost his battle with cancer this past month, and this past Monday was John's funeral service. Cheryl doesn't know this, but last night I was on Facebook, and I found out that it wasn't just her maid of honor who lost her husband to cancer, but my best man at our wedding is now undergoing his second treatment of chemotherapy. Luke Reynolds, over in Wooster, Ohio, running for sheriff in that area. But he had tumors, and they had to send the results of, of some biopsies to pathology so that the doctors could analyze the tissues. They could look at the blood work and see the red and white cell count and, and determine what was causing the condition and the prognosis is always better if you know exactly the cause because there's so many targeted treatments now that get to the source. And so as you say, God, I am exposed before you. And you ask him the tough questions. God, would you share with me, why do I do that? God, you, you've shown me problems that I have within my life of, of exploding in anger. Well, why do I react that way? God, what is the root of that? Send it off to pathology. Why do I exaggerate the truth? I mean, what's behind that, really? What makes me want to be in charge all the time? What is it that makes me want to go there? What causes me to, to want to fix people? Why am I so insecure? God, what is at the root of my procrastination? What's at the root of, of maybe my perfectionism? As a Christian, why am I so afflicted with IBS, irritable believer syndrome? I mean, Christians, they just tick me off, Lord, sometimes. Why am I so cynical in my life? I mean, what is it, God, that would lead a guy to take huge financial risk for NFL point spreads, God? What fuels this, this competitive nature I have to compete and win at all costs? God, what character defects in me need to be addressed and changed so that I can be a better husband? I can be a better wife. I can be a better son or daughter to you and to the parents you've given me on this earth. God, what can you change within me so that the tumor doesn't come back? What changes can you do? Because only God, friends, can work from the inside out. God, what do you want to do in me so that I can be free? And friends, when you go to the deep core of it, and you start to uncover stuff like pride or selfishness or, or approval seeking or guilt or greed or fear or worry, uh, or bitterness, or unresolved conflict, that deep, hidden stuff. Friends, God is more than able to deal with that stuff. He's done it in me countless times. And I love what Proverbs 20, verse 27 says, the human spirit is the lamp of the Lord that sheds light on one's inmost being. It's a good thing that God sees our heart. Because God, remember, is love, and that perfect love cast out fear. And the light of his love will be a beacon 
that guides you to freedom if you just let him in. Some of you, like me, maybe you used to have this screwed up picture of God that maybe God was always angry with you. Maybe God was always disappointed, maybe even disgusted by you as, as though God was some sadistic teacher with his giant red pen looking over my life and saying, not right, not right, not right, and writing that big F on my life. That was such a lie. Friends, God is love and he loves you so much and he longs for you and me to walk free. And I've just been thinking this week and praying for each of you, that you would hear what God wants to say to you. I think if God could speak to some of you, you need to hear him say, I know you're tired. I know you're weary and you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders. Come to me and I'll give you rest. Just bring to me all your fear and all your anxiety and leave them with me. I care about you. I keep track of all your sorrows. I I collect all your tears. I feel compassion for how you've been afflicted. And I haven't forgotten you. Look at your pursuits to find an acceptance in everything under the sun. You know it's it's meaningless. It's temporary. And I have freely given you my acceptance. I don't give to you as the world gives and, and then snatches it away. So don't let your hearts be troubled. I I can heal the brokenhearted. I can bind up your wounds. You know, if you're here today and you have any doubt of God's love for you, or you have a hard time comprehending a love without a price tag attached, you've always thought that love is something you've got to work for or something you've got to earn, hear what God has to say about you as he said about the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. In Psalm 139, David wrote, Oh yes, you shaped me first inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God. You're breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. God, you know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made bit by bit. How I was sculpted from nothing into something. And like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. And all the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life all prepared before I'd lived even one day. God says, I know where you've been. I've been where you are, and I am where you're going. And if you only knew the thoughts that I have for you, do you know they outnumber all the grains of sand on all the beaches of all the oceans in all the world? Yes, you are. You're the apple of my eye. I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. You don't earn my acceptance through anything you've done. It's a gift from me. It's not what you do that makes me love you. Your righteous acts, they're just like filthy rags. It's my love for you that makes you precious and honored in my sight. I created you for my honor and my glory, and I will never abandon what I made. Friends, that's what the God of the freeway says. I want to close this morning by, by telling you about Dave Wilkerson. 
Many of you have read his, his book, uh, The Cross and the Switchblade. You know about his ministry in, in New York City. But there was a time when he had an opportunity to baptize a whole bunch of, of people at his church. And he said, I'd never forget standing in the pool with people just spontaneously saying, okay, God, I'm ready. He said, I was standing there and I saw this older man shuffling toward the pool with a walker. And he had oxygen attached to his walker, and the oxygen was on, he was wearing it, and he had a Green Bay Packers jersey, and he looked all of a hundred years old. He was bent over, and arthritis had clearly taken its toll on this man. And he said, I thought maybe he's just going to the restroom, maybe he's just trying to sneak out of the service so he can make his way to his car early. But he said he was heading for the pool. And he said he got closer and he unhooked the oxygen. He set the walker aside and he shuffled step over to the ladder and the steps that led into the baptistry. And he said it took him a good three to five minutes just to get down into the water. And he asked him, you know, what, what, what's your name? He said, my name is, is Ray. He said, how old are you, Ray? He said, I'm 76. He said, Ray, how did you get here today? He said, I've been looking for God all my life. My friend invited me to come to worship today, and I found him. I finally found God. As he was done, four women stepped in to, to the baptistry as well. 16 years old, 17 years old, two 18 years old, and they came in the water together, and, and David asked him, are you guys all family? Are you guys all friends? And they said, no, we're, we're all in the same rehab group. He said, that, that's just great. The first girl came up to him and he said, how, how many days have you been clean? She said, 57. He said, you know what tomorrow is, don't you? She said, no, what? He said, it's 58. <laughs> it's one day at a time. That, that's what it is. Next girl had only been clean for 32 days, then 17 days clean. The last girl was just 12 days clean and all of them were saying, I just need God in my life. I need a fresh start. I need a new picture. I need God within to make a mess, uh, to make a, a clarity of the mess of my life. And friends, you know what God does whenever we come to Him, whether we're 76 or 12 days clean? He takes that etch a sketch and He says, okay, now let's start drawing this new life together. Some of you this morning, it's time to give it to God. It's time to start on, on that new picture that only He is a master at drawing and designing in you. He's the one that will say as He shakes that slate clean, you know, my mercies, they're new every morning. Let me show you what it looks like in you. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up this morning. And friends, if you are ready to have the new slate, if you're ready to be clean before the Lord, 76 again or 12 days straight, and you want to say, I need God in my life, I want you to come as we sing. Maybe it's a time to say, I'm, I'm just asking for prayer. But whatever your need is, you come. I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning, and let me pray for us before you come. Stand with me this morning, please. Heavenly Father, uh, we want to be those who experience a shaken believer syndrome. We want to have our slate clean.
We want to have whatever we bring to you shaken together, pressed down, and overflowing. We want to have souls that aren't just broken by this world. We want to have souls that are, are shaken together into a new design and new pieces because you promised if anybody would come to you, well, they could be a new creation. Father, I praise you for those in this room that, that would say, it's no longer my life, it's Christ in me. The life I live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. He's for me, not against me. Father, polish their witness as they pick up their cross this day and follow you. Help them to be messages, living billboards of transformation. But for the soul that's hungry that needs you, Father, feed them this day in their obedient step to receive you as both Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name.